I'm pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work. Okay. So, um, one of the things about doing a podcast for a while, you slowly figure things out. And uh, um, one of the things that's important to me that I've been doing with this podcast is trying to show the history of magic. And part of the history of magic is the people who made it. And so one of the things I've been trying to do is definitely let people know about all the different people that went into making magic. Um, and what I've discovered is two things. One is some people are fascinated by who the people are, and it's an interesting history lesson. Some people could care less. The second thing is um, I've been trying to do a lot of this during my design talks, and they've been getting longer. And so I've decided that here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start a new series that I'm calling Who's Who. And I'm going to use this series, which will be every once in a while. It won't be consecutive, but every once in a while I will do a story about the people of, of magic. Um, and I'll talk about different sections. Um, today I'm going to start with R&D, but I'll, I'll talk not just about R&D, but other people that were involved in the game. Um, and the idea is when we're all done, hopefully I've had a chance to talk about a lot of the people that have worked on magic. Um, so there's a long, very history and... It, Anyway, I really think if you want to know magic, it's important to know the people behind, behind the magic. The people behind the magic. Um, if I didn't use who's who, I would have to use behind the magic. Anyway, um, okay, so what we're going to do today is I'm going to start with R&D. The way I've decided to divide up R&D, because R&D is way more than one podcast, is I've talked before on how R&D came in waves. Um, if you look at kind of how R&D happened, especially in the early days, like, a bunch of people got hired, and there was a little bit of a pause, and a bunch more people got hired. Um, and so I'm going to talk about the first wave today. Um, and then in the future podcasts, I'll talk about second wave, third wave, and such. Um, and like I said, this is not just going to be r and I'm going to try to look at other sections and talk about other people. So, I mean, one of the things that's important to me is I'm going to try as much as I can to capture... Um, the history of the people that made the game, that's really important to me, and that if we're trying to capture history, like, who did it, it's pretty important. Okay, so let's start with R&D, wave one. Um, so the first wave of R&D, pretty much the first wave of R&D are all people that were connected to Richard Garfield and pretty much were the original playtesters of the game. So I, I've talked about a little of this, so I'll go over it real quickly. So Richard Garfield, um, the, the story, for those that don't know, is... Um, Richard was uh, a math professor living in Walla Walla, I think, um, at the time. And um, he, came to, um, he came to pitch a game. He and his friend Mike Davis, who I will talk about today, another first waiver, um, came, to pitch a ga- came to pitch a game to Peter Ackeson, who was the CEO of Wizards at the time, one of the founders and the CEO. Um, and they were trying to sell them on a game called Robo Rally. So for those that have never played Robo Rally, it's a game in which you play a robot and you're, each person's a robot and you're racing on the floor, or the floor of the factory, the robot factory. And there's all sorts of conveyor belts and flame jets and pits and laser beams. I'm not sure what kind of factory this is. But anyway, um, there's all these things that are causing problems and you are racing. And the unique thing about the game is that you have a bunch of cards that you program, whether you go straight or left or forward or, and, um, you pre-program your five moves. And the cool thing about it is you sort of predict what you think is going to happen, but because you'll interact with other people and there's other components you have to interact with, sometimes things go a little haywire. Um, anyway, it's a very, very fun game. Uh, Wizards of the Coast did later make it, so I think it's in our backlog. If you go to your store, I believe you can still buy Robo Rally. Awesome game. Anyway, so Richard and Mike came to pitch Robo Rally to Peter. Peter's response was, 
oh, I, this is a really nice game. I like this game a lot. The problem is, I'm a small company. This is expensive. Just the components to make a board game is very expensive. But Peter said, here's what I can do. I uh, have made a contact with someone at a printer, Cardamundi, uh, and I also know a local art store, place where I can get artists that I could do some work. And so I know I can make pretty cards with pictures on them. Do you have a game that we could put on cards? Um, and then he said, what, what Peter really wanted was, he wanted a game that had a short play time that was portable that you could play in between role-playing sessions. That was Peter's original vision. So Richard... Um, so let me explain Richard a little bit. Part of today is explaining people. So Richard, I've never met a person, and, and I've known a lot of gamers in my life. I've never met a person that loves games more than Richard Garfield. He loves, loves, loves games. In fact, he is constantly trying to play different games. Richard's the kind of person that he's not looking for a game that he likes and then plays it a lot. He's looking to play every possible game he can. I mean, he replays games he likes, but he... He is constantly on, on the move looking for new games and new things. Um, he will try games in languages that are not even in, uh, that he knows. Um, in fact, when I first got to Wizards, I, I explained this in one of my podcasts that like Richard had bought a lot of German games, which at the time weren't translated, and he would get translations for them and then teach people how to play. Um, he, Richard, and Scaffold, or Scaffolder, taught a class on the history of games. Richard studied sort of where games came from. Richard is fascinated on literally every aspect of games. And Richard loved game design. In fact, Richard, uh, one, people often ask me, how do you know you're a writer? And the answer is, you write games. Well, how do you know you're a game designer? Because you design games. Um, and I think most of the people I know, before they came to, all the game designers before they came to Wizards, designed their own games because they're game designers. You know, I, on my blog, I've been talking recently about a bunch of games that I designed that you obviously have never seen the light of day. Um, but like, game designers game. I'm sorry, they, they do game, but they also design. Um, and Richard loved making games. So Richard had just made a lot of designs. So when Peter said, I need a portable game on cards, um, Richard, two things popped in Richard's mind from, as I know the story. One is, Richard had been fascinated by the concept of a trading card game. Um, and second, Richard had made a, a card game uh, many years before called Five Magics. Um, and so, now that, I believe Five Magics wasn't a trading card game, it just was a lot game, but Richard thought of taking the basic essence of Five Magics, uh, putting a trading, you know, blending it with the, tr- the idea of a trading card game, um, and that is where Richard got the idea of magic. Um, and so Peter said this. Richard goes, I think I got something. Um, and so Richard, I think, he he must have been going to Penn. So Richard went to the University of Pennsylvania for his graduate degree, I believe, to get his master's. Uh, Richard is a mathematician in combatorics, which, if I understand correctly, is a fancy word to say big counting. Um, it has to do with numbers. Okay, I'm not a math guy. Uh, so in the math department at the University of Pennsylvania, Richard met four guys. Um, Scaff Elias, Jim Lynn, Dave Petty, and Chris Page. Those four people are, are now kind of known affectionately as the East Coast playtesters. Um, they're the ones... So Richard had a couple different groups that he ended up getting playtesting. This was the first group, his mathematician friends. Um, so I believe all four of them were also studying math. Um, I know for sure that Jim and Scaff were studying math. I believe Dave and Chris were studying math. It's possible one of them was friends. So, okay, uh, let me, I'll, I'll explain those guys in a second. So Richard, anyway, um, went back. Uh, he got some playtest groups. 
He tried magic, brought it back to, to Peter. Peter loved it, said, we're making this, and boom, the game is off. Um, so Richard, by the way, uh, growing up, uh, has a, a, a decently large family. I think he has uh, two sisters and a brother, and, and a mother and father, obviously. Um, and they moved around a lot when he was a kid. Uh, he has stories of, like, being in Nepal as a kid, and, you know, a lot of fascinating stories. Um, and uh, his father, I think his father's an architect. Um, anyway, uh, so Richard, very close to his family. His family had played games growing up, always loved games, uh, got into math because... I think to him that he saw a lot of math in games, um, and it was one of the things where really he wanted to be a game designer, but practically, how about I, how about I become a math professor? Um, and so Richard ended up probably was the first um, person hired uh, in R&D. I mean, there were a few people that were, I guess, in R&D. I don't know if they were there before Richard. Um, There's a guy named Glenn Elliott that... Uh, uh, was uh, technically the first person in charge of R&D, but he predates, I believe, Magic. Um, I mean, he was still there for quite a while after that. Um, oh, one of my caveats, I meant to say this at the beginning of my thing. Uh, I, in the whole idea of the who's who, I'm going to try to talk about who the key people who, who made Magic are. So a couple caveats. Number one is a lot of people had their hand in Magic. A lot of people. I mean, if you, literally, if you worked at Wizards, at some point you did something with Magic. I'm going to talk about people who, was pri- at some point, their primary role was working on Magic. Um, a lot of people, by the way, would start in magic and go on to do other things or start with other things and go on to do magic. So I'm talking about the people that played a major role in magic. Um, number two is I'm going to talk about them at the point where they were relevant with magic. So, for example, I'm talking about the first wave. There are some people who may later become relevant that were around during the first wave but weren't in R&D during the first wave. And so uh, I'm sort of talking about when they were relevant, at least for R&D, when I do timelines. Um, a lot of what you'll find is, as I talk about this, the people kind of interweave together. People move from sections to sections. You know, there's some people that end up in R&D that didn't start in R&D. There's people in R&D that start in R&D but didn't end up in R&D, um, you know, that moved to other sections of the company. And so anyway, there's a, there's a lot of people to talk about. So I'm, I'm going to, like I said, this is a multi-series uh, podcast. It won't be consecutive, but uh, um, I really do want to have you guys get a sense of who the people are. Oh, anyway, Richard Garfield. So... Richard loved, loved games, made a lot of games, um, ends up making magic, uh, and then so he goes back and he playtests with his playtest team. So, like I said, his first playtest team was in the friends, his math friends, in the graduate program at University of Pennsylvania. Um, so Scaff Elias and Jim Lynn were friends. They'd gone to Princeton together. Um, so let's talk with Scaff Elias. So Scaff Elias um, is probably best known as the creator of the Pro Tour, um, Scaff was a uh, senior vice president for many years. He was in R&D, but he kind of did lots of different projects. Um, Scaff was brand manager of Magic for a while. He oversaw organized play for a while. Uh, he had his hand in lots of different things. But all during that time, he constantly was involved in Magic. He was very, very involved in creating the organized play system. He was instrumental in making the, the Pro Tour. And uh, Scaff is... Scaff is a character. I often talk about how if I make a sitcom, how, you know, I would have to take bits and pieces of different R&D people to make characters out of. I don't need bits and pieces of anything. Scaff is a character. Uh, Scaff is famous for, he had a sleeping bag, he used to sleep under his desk. Um, Scaff was, 
how do I describe Scaff? Because Scaff, Scaff is quite the character. He, um, Scaff was insanely smart, um, he, very insightful. Uh, he definitely had his pulse on sort of the way he wanted things to be. Um, but let, let, me, let me describe it this way. Is if Richard, for those that know psychological terms, if Richard is the ego, Scaff is the id, and Jim Lynn is the superego. So I, I, I'll explain that. So for those that don't know, um, in, in psychology, that there's um, the ego is your sense of self. It's the center of who you are as a person. Uh, and then you have two parts, one that guides kind of the emotional side, and one that guides a little more of a logical side. I'm, to all psychology people out there, I'm, I'm apologizing for my gross, gross implication. Uh, Scaff was more the id. Id is the kind of thing that says, I want to do this, I have to do that. Eh, why don't, you know, it's, it, it's more impulsive and, and kind of uh, follows emotional impulses. Um, and in some ways, the id superego is kind of like blue-red, I mean, you know, where blue is a lot, yeah, the superego is more logical-based, and anyway. Um, Scaff is, is very much, very id-like, uh, in that he definitely, he just embraces things and he does them. Um, and Scaff, if you listen to stories of Scaff, Scaff just goes on adventures, because Scaff comes up with an idea to do something, and whatever that little voice in his head is supposed to say, you're not supposed to do that, he doesn't have that part, so he just does it. Um, I mean, Scaff, there's so many stories about Scaff. Um, Scaff was famous, by the way, for eating anything, including old food, no matter how old. That if Scaff was hungry, he would, like, people would put old leftovers in the fridge at work, and, like, if he was hungry late at night, doesn't matter how old it was, he'd eat it. You know, like, uh, you'd have pizza that had, you know, some mold on it. I mean, he didn't eat the mold, he'd brush the mold off, but, you know, uh, and Scaff is the, uh... Scaff is definitely the person who... One of the things about Scaff, uh, this is true of Jim, too, is uh, on some level, if you want to be an R&D, the, the following is true. You have to be smart. You have to know games and know magic. Um, you have to have an opinion. You have to be able to voice your opinion. You have to be able to argue. Uh, and you probably are a little stubborn. Uh, in Scaff's case, he's a lot stubborn. Uh, it's the same with Jim. Um, there's a story I told. Uh, I'll be able to tell again, just because it's a great story. Uh, where Scaff and Jim are arguing about something. I, I don't even remember what it was. They're arguing about something. And I'm there. And I'm listening to them argue. Eventually, I get bored. Because it's uh, hours into this. I'm like, whatever. I'm going home. They're, they're just not going to st- stop arguing. So, I go home. I have a full night's sleep. I get up. Get ready. Have my breakfast. You know, shower. Get dressed. Do everything. Come in. They are still arguing about the same thing. They argued so long, I grew bored. I went home, I had a full night's sleep, got ready, came back, still arguing. I mean, like, ten hours of arguing or something like that. Um, that is Jim and, that is Jim and Scott's relationship right there. Um, they had great respect for each other. In fact, the, whole, the East Coast playtesters all had great respect for each other, but they would argue like nobody's business because they were all very hardcore gamers that, like... Uh, I, I, and this is true in r and I think what happens is... Each one of these guys were used to being the smartest guy in the room. Growing up, like, they were the smartest guy in the room. So they, did, they would win every argument they had because they were the smartest guy in the room. And then all of a sudden, they got in a room in which everybody else was also the smartest guy in the room. And I think R&D is a lot like this, where it's a lot of really bright people who are just kind of used to, to, to winning the argument and having arguments. Um, we are not quite as stubborn as Scaff and Jim, uh, although we, we have our moments. Um, so Jim... Uh, Jim also, Scaff and Jim both were math professors. I, I think Jim actually might have been an engineer. 
Um, Scaff, I think, was also combinatorics. I think Jim was an engineer. So Scaff and sorry, Jim and Richard. I, 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 I sorry, Scaff and Richard. Throwing a lot of names out here. Scaff and Richard were very, very good friends. They're best friends. Um, have been that way, I think, since their time in college. Um, Scaff is when they introduced Jim to Richard, um, and Jim is. So what happened was Jim came to Wizards, um, worked on Magic for a while. Eventually, he was in charge of all non-Magic TCGs. Because remember, by the way, when Richard Garfield first started making Magic, the idea was that... In fact, look on the back of a Magic card. You'll see Deckmaster. The idea originally was that Wizards was going to become the trading card game company. You know, that, that they weren't just going to make Magic. They were going to make lots of trading card games. And so Richard, after Magic, started making other games. He made uh, Jihad, that later uh, got renamed to Vampire the Eternal Struggle. He made, um, and that, that's like a horror-based uh, vampire clans. Uh, it's it's a very multiplayer-oriented. You're, you're, you're different cl- you each represent different clans of vampires fighting for dominance. Um, and Richard claimed that, while it's a good game, he didn't understand trading card games well enough at the time to understand that you needed a faster-paced game, and that the flaw he sees now with Vitas of Vampire the Turn of Struggle, is that it, it's too long. Uh, it's a fun multiplayer game, and if you enjoy the game, it's great, but it's, it's a long game, and it's hard to get in and out of. And Trading card games about adapting your deck, and the game is a little long, and, and Richard says in retrospect. Second game he made was Netrunner. That was... Uh, all the games other than Magic were based on other people's IPs, um, most of which I think were role-playing games. Um, so Netrunner is a cyberpunk game, uh, it has to do with uh, uh, hackers breaking into the mainframe, you know, breaking into the cyber world, and the corporations trying to stop them. So the unique thing about uh, Netrunner is it's a game in which each side is playing a different deck. That one side has the runner deck, and one side has the corporation deck, and you have different cards. They actually have different color backs. Um, very good game, but the fact that each side had a different deck was confusing, and I think made it hard for people to pick up games is easier because you had to kind of carry both decks around with you because you didn't know who you're going to meet or what they have. Um, a fascinating game, by the way. Um, probably of the games outside of Magic, it's probably Richard's best game, best trading card game other than Magic. Um, Magic's number one. Uh, and then the third game was Battletech. That is another science fiction game. Uh, it's based. There's a there's a role playing game. There also is pods. You can have video game fight with you like. You go, you go to a place that has these pods that you fight in, and it's battling mechs is basically the flavor of the game. Um, and uh, those were the three Deckmaster games other than Magic. Um, anyway, the idea was, at the time, Wizards was really going to evolve and become more than just Magic. You know, it, was, it, it was going to become the trading card game company. And we were doing Robo Rally and you know, uh, the Great Del Moody and a lot, lots of other games that we were making. In fact, Richard was just pumping out games, and Wizards was making the games Richard made. Um, uh, and, and, and games from other people made. It wasn't just Richard. Well, one of these days, I will do a history of Wizards games. That's a, that's a fine topic. Um, anyway, so Jim started on Magic, eventually became in charge of non-Magic TCGs. Then he would later become the VP of R&D, and even later than that, he would become an executive VP that oversaw multiple things, including R&D. Um, so Jim was... I mean, is. Uh, no, all these people are still alive. Jim's very logical. He's very um, methodic. Um, I think that a lot of early magic, Jim was the force to try to put order on things. Um, that, 
in some ways, if you want to think of it as, a, as sort of a blue-red conflict that, uh, or the it's Supreme, however you want, that Jim and Scaff definitely, the, uh, there's a lot of conflict of Jim was trying to make the order, uh, get the system working correctly, and Scaff was trying to get the feel correct, and um, they, they would butt heads a lot. Um, the, the, what stories of Jim? Jim is uh, originally from Cincinnati. Um, yeah, Jim every year has a Super Bowl party in which he makes Cincinnati chili, which for those that read my blog have learned it's different from normal chili. Uh, anyway, uh, and um, I don't know, Jim, Jim is, uh, all these people were really hardcore gamers. Um, Jim is a, was a, a little more quiet than Scaff. Scaff is very in your face. Um, although the funny thing is talk about quiet. So, um, there were four East Coast players testers. Three of the four actually came out to Wizards. So, um, Scaff came out, Jim came out, and Dave Petty came out. Chris Page stayed to finish, um, getting his degree. Um, I don't know, I know Richard has finished his degree. I'm not sure of the rest. Um, between Scaff and Jim and Dave, I think, I think that Jim and Scaff had finished and Dave hadn't, because Dave would later leave, I believe, to go back to finish it. Anyway, uh, Dave Petty was the quietest of those three. Uh, I mean, Chris Page, I, 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 Chris Page I've interacted with, but uh, never at Wizards. Um, he's a person, by the way, who listens to my podcast and reads my articles, and when I get factual things wrong on, on this stuff, he will always kindly write me and tell me what I've gotten incorrect. So thank you, thank you, Chris, for listening. Uh, I'm hoping I'm doing fair today. I'm doing the best I can to... A lot of this is my memory and what I know from what people have said. Um, so Dave was the quietest of the bunch, at least uh, of the three of them, of Jim Scaff and, and Dave. Um, I, only after, I only overlapped with Dave for a little while, um, maybe six months at most, because uh, Dave went, ended up going back. Um, so the timeline real quick for today, for the first wave, is... The game hit in July of 1993. Um, I believe Richard was the first one to come out. Um, and he came out into summer or the fall. And then slowly after him, other people would start coming out. I think Jim and Scaff were some of the earliest ones to come out. And then Dave came out. Um, oh, someone else that came out early that I have not talked about yet is Mike Davis. Let me talk a little about Mike Davis. Um, so Mike Davis was a very good friend of Richard's. I do not know where they met. I don't... I don't think Mike is a mathematician. So I actually, I don't know what Mike did before he came to Wizards. That's a good question. Um, so probably uh, my, the warmest thing in my heart for Mike Davis is Mike is the person who hired me. So if you ever heard me tell the story of how I, I was up at Wizards and I said, you know, I'd be willing to move to Seattle. And someone said to me, when can you start? That was Mike Davis. Also, if you ever heard the story where when uh, I, I was originally going to be hired, I, I had a, a walk and talk with, with Mike Davis where I explained to him that I thought I was a designer, not a developer. And uh, Mike's the one that said, well, we need developers, not designers, because they had Richard. Uh, and I said, oh, okay, I can develop. <laughs> um, but anyway, that's Mike Davis. So you, you probably heard, I probably told stories where you, you, Mike Davis was in the story, you just didn't know it was Mike Davis. Um, you know, he was a good friend of Richard's. He, he was the one that came with Richard to pitch RoboRally. Um, so Mike became the VP of R&D. Um, uh, I think the first VP, I think, I think Glenn Elliott had been in charge of R&D, but wasn't a vice president. So Mike became the first vice president of R&D, I believe. Um, and, um, he was there for a while. He ended up, um, he and I overlapped for a couple years and then he, he moved on to do some other stuff. Um, Mike was a real sweet guy and, um, 
I mean, I keep saying was. He is. These guys are not dead or anything. Uh, I just interacted with him a long time ago. Um, and I, I had a great fondness for Mike, and he, he, like I said, if it wasn't for Mike, I wouldn't be a wizard. So he, uh, the, the other thing that was interesting is um, that I had worked with a lot of different sections of the company, and that when I first said that I wanted to work at Wizards, um, the, the Duelist was interested in me because I had done a lot of stuff with the Duelist. The Magic Team was interested in me. And R&D was interested in me. And Mike fought really hard to get me in R&D. And so I'm really, really happy that Mike did. Because um, I've, I've had a good time in R&D. So, uh, what else is about Mike? He's, he's sweet. I mean, he's a gamer too, but he, he is not uh, as... He's a little as hardcore. I mean, he enjoys games and loves gaming. Um, and I, I, I believe that Robo Rally was a co-design between Mike and, and uh, Richard. So I guess Mike did do some game design. Um, Anyway, uh, he, like I said, he was, uh, unlike most of the rest of R&D, the stories I'm telling were like they were stubborn. And Mike was not, not nearly as stubborn and uh, was uh, very easy to get along with. I liked Mike a lot. Um, okay, other people. Um, so uh, Richard comes out. Mike, Mike Davis comes out shortly after that. Soon after that. So either the, during the fall or the, the winter. So either the fall of 93 or the winter of 94. Scaff and Jim come out. I think Dave comes out shortly after that. Uh, what else can I say about Dave Petty? Um, Dave was very exact in what he wanted. One, one of the things about the East Coast Playtaft is that there were legendary stories about them designing, which was you had four actually really good designers. I, one of the things about um, Alliances, for example, was the last that they did. So the East Coast Playtafters did um, Antiquities, Ice Age, Fallen Empires, and Alliances. And uh, I, my favorite set before I came to Wizards was Antiquities. Um, one of the sets of people asked me that I, I thought showed the most potential for the future was alliances. I, I thought they were a very, very good design team. Uh, they had their biases. They really didn't like flying. But um, in general, I, I really liked a lot of the stuff the team did. And I enjoyed working with Scaff and Jim and Dave. Um, I've enjoyed my interactions with Chris. I never worked with Chris. But um, all bright guys, all really understood magic and, and, and gaming and that. Um, a lot of early magic. If you, I mean, they're the people that really put... I mean, some of the people. They really put magic on the map. And, and uh, uh, the three of them did a lot of the early development. So what happened was... Let me figure out the timing here. They got out here in time to do development work on Legends. That's the first set I believe they did development on. So what happened was magic exploded. You know, Peter's like, oh, we got, we got to make more sets. we got to make more sets. And so Richard made Arabian Nights mostly by himself. Um, and, uh, Antiquities was made by the East Coast Playtafters. And Legends was made by... Um, led by a guy named Steve Connard, who was a role-playing buddy of Peter Atkinson's. And Legends was based a lot on a lot of the characters and stuff from the role-playing games that they had played together, uh, mostly Dungeons & Dragons. Um, and the R&D, the first set they worked on was they did some development on it. And if you've ever seen the cards from the design, Steve Connard uh, is an awesome man and very imaginative and... Uh, Legends had a lot of very cool and neat ideas, but if you've ever seen the original Legends card, they were written very... They weren't in any technical speak. It's kind of like, uh, go get a guy, and he comes and play, and uh, he fights with all the other people. And like, well, what does that mean, you know? He didn't... He sort of just got the gist of what he wanted, but then uh, the R&D was, had to sort of like turn that into actual magic ease. Um, so the first thing they worked on was um, Legends. Um, so, also that came, so, 
the East Coast playtesters, that was one group. The other big playtest group, and, and there were some individual playtesters that Richard had, but there were two main groups. The other group Richard met through his bridge club, um, and that was the group. Uh, East Coast playtesters did Ice Age and the, the other one. Uh, the, the set, when Richard first, Magic first took off, he assigned each of his groups um, a, a set to work on, knowing that eventually they'd, they'd need it. Uh, and it took off faster than he thought, so that's why some quick work had to be done. Um, the other group he met through the bridge group uh, would go on to make Mirage and Visions. So that was a group that Bill Rose was in, a guy named Joel Mick, Charlie Catino, um, uh, Don Felice, Howard Collenberg, I think is his last name, and Elliot Spitzer. If I get Howard and Elliot's last name wrong, I apologize. I literally met each of them once. Um, so what happened is uh, that group... Um, would design Mirage. Um, Joel Mick actually worked with East Coast Playtesters on Antiquities. Um, and Joel was the first person from the bridge group, they, they don't have a fancy name like the East Coast Playtesters, um, to come out to Wizards. Joel, in fact, was the very first head designer of Magic. Um, well, I mean, one could argue Richard was the first head designer, but once Richard was moving on to other things, uh, Joel was the first head designer that wasn't the creator of the game. Uh, and when I say head designer, he was head designer slash developer. It was actually one role back, back when. Um, it would get split into two later. In fact, when I became head designer, it got split in two because um, I really didn't have the chops to be head developer. Um, so Joel was the original head designer slash head developer. Um, he was there... When I talked about the waves of design, he was oversaw the second wave of design or the beginning of it. He was the person who... Um, was the head designer during the period where we did Mirage. I mean, Bill was the lead designer of Mirage, but um, Joel was the head designer, and he was the one that pushed us toward um, blo- doing blocks and stuff. That was that was his doing. Um, now, Joel would later go on to um, become the brand manager of Magic, and probably at some point, I will t- one, one of my who's who's will be on the brand ma- the brand managers of Magic. That's actually an interesting thing, and I'll talk more about Joel there. But Joel. Um, did a lot of innovations on the brand team real quickly like stuff like um, uh, rarity uh, rarity icons and premium cards that, that was all Joel's doing that was Joel's reign as head designer uh, sorry as head uh, as block let's try this again Joel's lead as um, brand manager of Magic so in fact two of the people that he both Scaff Elias and Joel Mick were brand manager of Magic for a while uh, Joel for longer than Scaff was um so Joel was... What did Joel do? I think Joel... Was he in business? I'm not sure what Joel did before he got here. Um, I do know that Joel... Uh, I think he'd been a manager because he, he, he managed very well. Um, and uh, Joel and Bill were really, really good friends. Um, Joel... One of the funny things about Joel uh, is Bill and Joel had gone on a trip to Europe. And this is before cell phones. So they were supposed to meet up at a, at a certain city at a certain place. And then Joel just never showed. Um, and that became a running joke of what was called getting Joeled when someone was supposed to show up and they just didn't show up. And that became lingo in R&D. So if you had a meeting and someone just didn't show up from the meeting, you got Joeled. Uh, it's funny now because one of the things is when I tell stories about some of these people, people in R&D now, most of them don't know who I'm talking about because, um, you know, of, of the... there's one, I'm going to mention in a second Charlie Catino. Of the first wave people, the only person that's still there first wave is Charlie Catino. Uh, and of second wave, the only one still there is me and Bill. Um, but anyway, second wave is, is not this podcast. Uh, okay, so Joel... Um, Joel came out, I think, shortly after Scaff and Jim. 
and definitely started working on a lot of the early stuff. Um, Charlie Catino, who was also part of the Bridge Club, um, he came out later. He came out in February of 1995. So I, I call him the tail end. So the first wave starts in the summer of 1993 and goes through the beginning of the winter of 1995. That's the first wave. Most of them actually got hired at the end of 93, beginning of 94. Charlie, in some ways, is, is his own wave, but uh, I, I tend to think of him as being more with the first wave than the second wave, um, although he's definitely in the middle. So Charlie um, ran, I, I think Charlie worked in a chemistry lab before he came out. Um, I, think, I think he was, uh, I think he majored in chemistry, I think. That's a good question. I know he worked in a chemistry lab. Um, so Charlie... Um, was Charlie is is currently um, he worked on Magic for quite a while worked on other games now he's in charge of our Japanese trading card games well he's in charge of Duel Master which is our Japanese trading card game and Kaijudo which is we brought it to the US it's slightly changed but we brought it to the US and now Charlie runs that uh, but for many years uh, Charlie was on the design teams obviously for Mirage and Visions I had him on the design team for Tempest um, he did a lot of early stuff Charlie was one of the earliest advocates of don't make all the cards... Like, you want a balance of cards. The Charlie... Say, like, Charlie was one of the bigger voices of, you need bad card. The magic can't just be every card pushed. And Charlie was one of the people saying, we have to watch the power level, we got to pull stuff down. Charlie really actively would like to make bad cards. In fact, ironically, Charlie's favorite bad card he ever made was uh, um, in Mirage, uh, Lion's Eye Diamond. So he made, a, he made a Lotus that you had to discard your hand and tap for three colorless mana. I made one change in development, which I said, if it's going to be a bad Lotus, it should be a bad Lotus. And I changed it to three of one color. Uh, and anyway, it went on to be the most broken card in the set. So Charlie's job of making a broken card. <laughs> he made plenty of other, uh, not broken card. His job of making a, a weak card. Um, Charlie is super fun, and he, he always has a smile on his face. And um, he... he he is almost the opposite of some of, of Jim and Scaff. I mean, not, I guess Charlie can be stubborn and can argue, but he is less likely, you know. He usually tries to find a way to um, find the solution that makes everybody happy. You know, he, he definitely is good at finding the middle ground, and he's a, he's a very, very good sort of uh, people person and interacting. Charlie, by the way, for a while, was a level 5 judge and used to judge the Pro Tour. Um, he, was, he wasn't the very first level 5 judge, because that was Tom Wiley. One of these who's who's will have to be on rules managers, um, but he was the second, I, I believe, the second level five judge, um, and he he had judged a whole bunch of events. Um, he was a very good judge, I thought. Um, so Charlie came out it was the tail end, came out in December, or sorry, February of nineteen ninety four. Charlie, by the way, now has the distinction of everybody who currently works at Watsi to have worked at Wizards for the longest amount of time. Um, there are some people who used to work at TSR. Uh, we bought them, the, the Dungeons Dragons people, that still work at Wizards. So they've continually worked on D&D longer, but they've not continually worked for Wizards longer. Charlie is the longest employee. I, right now, am number seven or eight. Uh, Bill Rose is one ahead of me because he started two weeks before me. Um, but anyway, Charlie, I, I started in October of 95. Charlie started in February. Um, so those, uh, that is the first wave. Um... Like I said, there's a lot of other people that were around, a lot of other people that did stuff. These were the major players that had the biggest impact on Magic. Um, and one of the things to remember is... So, early, so let me walk through what they did. 
Um, okay, so this group showed up in time to do, or a bunch of the early ones, did the development work on Legends. Uh, they then, uh, the Dark was done by uh, Jesper Mirforce, who was the first art director for Magic. Uh, and they did the development on the Dark. Um, next was Fallen Empires. Uh, that was East Coast Playtesters. They did that. Um, and they, did, they, they both did it and then did, they did their own development work on it. Um, after Fallen Empires was Ice Age. That was also the East Coast Playtesters. Uh, after Ice Age was Homelands. Uh, I did a podcast on this. So Homelands was um, two people from Wizards, um, Kyle Namvar and Scott Hungerford. Um, Kyle ran the customer service group, and Scott, um, or Scooter, was on um, the creative team. It was called Continuity at the time, but it was a creative team. Uh, and they made Homeland. The R&D had a big fight over Homeland because they didn't like the original design. Um, they, they did some development on it. Um, probably not as aggressive as they would want to do, but... Um, uh, they really wanted to make major changes, and Peter wouldn't let him do that. Um, so uh, they were there for Homelands. And then Homelands was the first set that I, I was not yet working at Wizards, but I was a playtest group. I did a playtest work on Homelands. Um, and then the passing of the torch between the first wave and the second wave would be during alliances. In fact, all the all the first wave, or most of the first wave and most of the second wave were on alliances. Alliances had like a development team of like 13 people. Um, but a lot of, uh, so what happens is, um, these people spent, um, the first wave spent almost two years, you know, year and a half working on Magic, and then Wizards was growing, and so they were all interested in working on other games, and that we were making new TCGs and new games, and so, um, Scaff kept, Scaff is the one of the original ones that kept his toe in the most. I mean, he still worked on organized play stuff. He was on the occasional development team. So Scaff kept his, kept his, uh, kept his fingers in, in Magic. Jim went on to do um, other trading card games. He, he was in charge of other trading card games for a while, and then new games, and then he ended up being the VP of R&D. Uh, Dave Petty ended up going back to school, so he did not stay around too long. So he worked on Magic, and then he ended up leaving. Um, the uh, Joel Mick would go on to become brand manager of Magic, uh, Charlie Catino would go on to be in charge of uh, our Japanese TCGs. Um, Mike Davis wa- became the, or was the vice president of R&D. Uh, he was there for a couple of years, and then he left to go on to do some other stuff. He was working, still making games, but other places. Um, and that is, that is wave one. Um, so one of my plans, by the way, real quickly, I'm, I'm almost to work, uh, with this who's who is... Um, I'm going to try to mix up a little bit the kind of who's who I'm doing. Um, I'll definitely get through all of R&D, but I'm not just going to do R&D. Um, my plan is that there's all sorts of different people that worked on on Magic. And so my my idea is I want to run through... I'm going to pick some area of, like, today I did R&D, but I'm going to pick some area. Uh, in, in, in the future, my idea is I will talk about rules managers. I will talk about art directors. I will talk about brand managers. You know, I, I will pick different aspects of the game um, you know, I can talk about creative team members. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick sort of different people that had, had their hand in magic. And like I said in my intro today, um, if you want to understand the history, you know, understanding history is understanding people. This is very much true if you study history of anything. That, you know, what made changes happen? People. What made magic the game it was? People. 
you know, and that one of the things that's very, very important to understand is that magic is a game, and the reason magic is where it is now, 20 years later, is all the hard work of all the people all along the way that kept innovating and improving on the game. And if you look at early magic, you know, uh, the, the first wave, for example, these are the guys that um, came up with standard as a format and, and understood the importance of standard. Um, a lot of these people were the people that started pushing toward a lot of the rule changes. Um, I mean, some of that would be Bill in, in the second wave, but... Um, oh, so by the way, what, what happened is... Um, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, this group uh, did formatting. They started doing some rule things. They really revamped a lot of, uh, of stuff on templating and understanding how what shouldn't show, go in a set. Um, that they, they really much sort of stopped ironing out that a lot of the early color pie... Like, Colorpy early on was a little bit in flux, and they, they, they're the first ones that started sort of figuring out where things needed to be. Um, so this early group really was the ones that took magic from this kind of infancy uh, through its, its, its toddler years and, and, and got it to the point where it was um, a little more stable. The early group was also ones that, uh, as magic started going international, this is the early group. Um, there was a lot of work early on of making sure that new markets and new languages sort of you know, you had to figure out how to start them when they weren't starting at the absolute beginning. Um, and anyway, this this early team did a lot. That if you love magic, a lot of things that you think of as probably being inde- being a core part of what the game is, things you and I realize the game didn't start with, this group got and came together and brought. Um, but this group decided they wanted to go on and do other things. And so they decided they needed to hire a whole new wave of people that could take care of magic R&D. That wave was what I call the second wave. Uh, I will come along with that. Bill Rose, Mike Elliott, William Jockish, Henry Stern. So anyway, uh, when I pick up, um, like I said, this series is not going to be consecutive. Um, I'm not even sure the sec- next time I do this, I'll do R&D. Um, but the next time I do R&D, so the next who's who R&D, I will do the second wave, uh, in which I'll introduce... Uh, uh, Basically, my, my, my group, uh, when they came in, how they came in, where they came from. I'll talk about background a little bit. And um, Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed today. Um, I, I pur- purposely decided to do this Who as its own thing because for the people that don't care, they don't have to listen to it. But I, I want people to know who the people were that made the game. They're an awesome group of people, um, and magic exists because of their hard work. And so I'm going to spend some time over the next... I'm sure it'll take years for me to get through all the people, but I, I, I'm dedicated to doing this Who's Who's category to really introduce you guys to all the people who made Magic Magic. Anyway, as much as I love talking about magic history and magic people, even more, I like making magic. So it's time for me to go, guys. I'll talk to you next time. Ciao.